Last week on Valentine's Day, Shannon got us started uh, on, on this series of talking about real love. Real love. And that's what we're going to continue in in talking about today. Now, Shannon did an amazing job as, as she talked about love. But one of the things she really pointed out is that love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment uh, to, to serve somebody else. It's a commitment to cause somebody else to thrive. Now, you may have heard that and thought to yourself, but I've felt something before. Like, I've had feelings. Like, th there's got to be something to love that, that has this concept of a feeling. Well, the thing is this, is what Shannon was teaching us about last Sunday was agape love. Right? Agape love. And agape love is the unconditional, it's the perfect love of God. And it's a love that is always committed to others. It's a love that is sacrificial. It is a, it is a love that is unconditional and giving. But in the Greek language, which the New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek, in the Greek language, they actually had three concepts of love, three words for love. So agape is only one of those concepts. The second concept they had of love is the word eros, which is romantic love, passionate love. Right? This is where we get the English word erotic, right? which refers to sensuality and sexuality. So they had eros, and then they also had phileo, which was not like a phileo fish sandwich. All right? This was not McDonald's. All right? Phileo was friendship love, or what they called brotherly love. This is why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Right? They had phileo. So... I want to talk to you today. You can see in your notes that our title is Passionate Love, but, but here's our, our big picture point. And if you don't have the notes, you can find them in your bulletin. Or if you're on our digital campus, you can find them attached to the video on our website. Or if you're listening to the podcast, they're attached to the audio on the podcast. But you can see our, our point today is this, is that healthy, lasting relationships, whether it's dating, whether it's courtship, whether it's marriage, healthy, lasting relationships require all three types of love, the unconditional, the romantic, and the friendship, the agape, the eros, and the phileo. And that's what I want to dig into as we teach from the Song of Solomon. Now, can we talk about Song of Solomon for a minute? All right, first off, in chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The Song of Songs, what does that mean? Well, just like Jesus is the King of Kings, that means that He's the greatest of all kings, He's above all other kings, then calling something the Song of Songs means it's the greatest of all songs. It's above all songs. And so the Song of Solomon is the greatest song ever written. And so it is a song. It is in poetry form. And so that means that when you're reading it, it's all being spoken by three characters, right? You've got Solomon, who we know is King Solomon. Now, at this point, he's probably a young man. And chances are that even though it refers to him as the king in the song, chances are he was probably still a prince when he first got married. But King Solomon is the male voice. The female voice is a young woman that we only know as the Shulamites, we don't know who she was exactly. And then the third voice is the choir of the daughters of Jerusalem, right? So you've got the female voice, you've got the male voice, and you've got the choir. And, and so it's kind of like reading the script of a play, right? There's no action involved. It's all just dialogue. And you've got to pick up on the action that is happening through reading the dialogue. 
Now here's the thing about Song of Solomon. This is a passionate book. It is sensual. There is sex in it. All right, this is a steamy romance novel. And, and the fascinating thing is that this is actually one of only two books in the entire Bible that does not mention the name of God. This is not a book for religious content. This is a book for passionate love. And throughout history, there have been conservative scholars and conservative churches that struggle with how passionate and how sensual the Song of Solomon is. So they've tried to turn it into an allegory, right? They've tried to say, well, in the Old Testament, this is just God talking about how much he loves Israel. And in the New Testament, this is just Jesus talking about how much he loves the church. Listen, that is not in here. This is not a song about how much God loves us. No, this is a song about how much a man and woman love each other and how passionate they are about loving each other. So why is this in the Bible? Because God wants us to know that he's okay with passionate love. Not only is he okay with it, he endorses it. He approves of it. He wants to see it happen. And we shouldn't shy away from it. So we are not going to teach the Song of Solomon as if it's an allegory about God's love. We're going to look at it as it is. It is a romance between a man and a woman. And that is why today we want to talk about healthy relationships. We want to talk about passionate love. Right? Passionate love. Because uh, passionate love fuels us when it comes to having a lasting relationship. Right? Passionate love causes us to do illogical things. Right? Passionate love causes us to do extravagant things. Shannon shared our love story last week, and, and, and I'll just add one scene into it. I'll add one episode into our love story, and that is the, the night that I proposed to Shannon. I wanted to do something really special. I wanted to do something really over the top. Now, this was before the days of Instagram, so I didn't have to hire anybody to film it. Right? And I didn't have to get the perfect angle to post it on Instagram, so praise God for that. But I still wanted to do something special. At that time, I was a youth pastor at a church in Arizona, and so I thought, you know what? I want our marriage to be sacred, and so I want to propose on the altar. What better place to propose? What better place to start our future together than at the altar of God? And so it was Saturday, Shannon and I were going to go on a date Saturday night, and so I spent the whole day Saturday getting ready. I went out, I bought flowers, so I had a dozen roses, and then the, the ring that I bought came in a little case that looked like a rose, and so I stuck it inside the dozen roses. So there was actually 13 roses. The 13th rose was a ring case. And then I got a bunch of rose petals, and I sprinkled those rose petals all over the altar, and I had the flowers set up, and then um, I, I, I had a boombox. So ask your mom what a boombox is, all right? And um, I had a boombox, and, and I had it playing our song. Now, our song is Amazed by Lone Star. Now, I am not a country music guy. But that country song, I am good with. Come on, it is a, an amazing song. And so, but as I was getting this set up all day, it almost imploded because this was before the day of text messaging. And so Shannon was calling me because she wanted to talk to me every day because she loved me. Um, 
But I wasn't going to answer the phone because I knew the first thing she was going to ask is, what are you doing? And I didn't want to lie to her. And so I didn't want to tell her. So I didn't answer the phone all day. So wouldn't you know it that by Saturday evening, when I went to pick her up for this amazing night, she was ticked off. She was mad at me. Why didn't you answer the phone? So it got started off on a bad foot. Now, the second thing is, is I had to come up with a reason why we were going to go to the church for our special dates. And so as we're driving, I came up with this little ploy of saying, oh, you know what? I forgot to set something up for church tomorrow. Can we stop by the church before we go out to dinner? Now, she's already mad at me. Now she's even more mad at me because we're going to the church on our dates. And yet I still managed to pull it off. I was like, I'm just going to run inside. And so I run inside, and then from inside I call her, and I was like, baby, I can't find something. Can you come in here and help me find it? And she walks in, and amazed is playing, and we had this amazing proposal, right? Come on, passionate love makes you do extravagant things. So as we study Song of Solomon chapters 1 and 2 today, we're not going to read through it line by line and, and do it like a Bible study. What I actually want to do is I want to talk to you about four themes that I found when I studied these two chapters. Four themes that teach us about relationships and healthy relationships and what God wants for us to have the best relationship possible. So as we go through these four themes, we're going to bounce around a little bit throughout these two chapters of Song of Solomon. So let's do this. Our number one theme is this. What do we find? We find passion and purity. We find passion and purity. Why passion and purity? Because Solomon and the Shulamite don't get married until the end of chapter 3. That means that chapters 1 and 2 is their courtship. It's their dating season. They're not married yet in chapters 1 and 2. And yet, how does this thing start? Chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Come on, this thing just jumps right into some open mouth kissing, right? There's, there's no character development. There's no backstory. There's no buildup. This thing just jumps right into passionate kissing, right? There is a passion going on here. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like a purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. Right? There is a passion that is going on here. Now, they're not married yet. And so when it says here that the king is going to bring me into his chambers, in the original language, what the scholars understand here is that this is not what is happening. This is what she's longing for. She's longing for the king to bring her into the chambers. And then go to chapter 2 and verse 5. This is the woman again speaking. She says, sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, because I am lovesick. Come on, she is weak at the knees. She is so passionate. She says, I'm going to faint. I need some sugar. Somebody get me a cake. Somebody get me an apple. I'm going to pass out here. All right, come on. There is some passion going on here. 
But then look at verse 7 of chapter 2. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field. Now, I got to say, I have no idea why she is encouraging the women based on gazelles and deers, okay? So that's just a mystery to me. I did all the research I could. I have no clue. Okay, so, but she encourages them by the gazelles and by the deers of the field. What does she encourage them? That you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. That you do not arouse or awaken my love. Other translations say, do not arouse or awaken love until the time is right. This young couple was incredibly passionate, and there was longing. There was sexual desire. There was sexual longing, but they were not awakening that longing before the time was right. They were not going to engage in it before they were married, and so I just want to encourage you. Listen, sexual longing and sexual desire are not things to be ashamed of. Whether you're dating or whether you're married. I know sometimes Christians can get so conservative. We're just like, man, I just, should I even be this horny? Should I even be thinking about my wife this much? Is this, is this okay? Listen, sexual longing is okay. God is good with it. God created us with it. He designed us for it. God is okay with it. I love what the Christian author Sharon Jane said. She said, sex is not an evil that marriage permits but a gift that marriage protects. This is not something to be ashamed of. It is okay to be passionate. Even when you're dating, it's okay to be passionate. Just don't awaken love before it's time. Don't awaken that arousal before the time is right. God wants us to be passionate and pure. Passionate and pure. So if we're dating and we're having these sexual longings and we're super passionate for each other, how do we keep our purity? Well, I just want to give you one simple tip. Keep it from the neck up. Keep it from the neck up. It's very clear here that they were kissing. It's very clear here that they were into making out. But there's something that I noticed when, when, when reading this. Solomon is, is great at giving compliments. He's great at, 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 at speaking to this young Shulamite woman. But what you'll notice is that in chapters 1 and 2, every compliment is from the neck up. He talks about her eyes. He talks about her cheeks. He talks about her neck. Everything is from the neck up. Now, after chapter 3, after the wedding night, starting in chapter 4, he describes everything. Ooh, and that's why this book is so sensual now. He's describing her entire body. Why? Because now it's okay. Because we're in the bonds of marriage. But if you're not in the bonds of marriage, keep it from the neck up. Keep your focus on the neck up. Keep your touching from the neck up. Come on, passion and purity. If you're married and that passion is not there, do something to relight the fire. And that's whether you're a newlywed or whether you've been married for 50 years. Find the fire. God wants there to be passion. Second theme is this. Insecurity and affirmation. Insecurity and affirmation. Let's go back to chapter 1 and begin reading from verse 5. Again, this is the voice of the young woman. She says, I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyards. 
the woman is experiencing a lot of insecurity here. She talks about her black skin. Now, I want to be clear here. This was not a racial issue. This was a socioeconomic issue. You see, in those days, if you were rich, if you were part of the aristocracy, if you were part of the nobility, you didn't have to go outside and work. You could sit inside all day. And that meant that your skin was a much lighter tone. Whereas the common folk, those that had to work outside, their skin was much darker because they were in the sun every day. So when she is feeling insecure about her skin color, it's not because of a racial difference. It's because of a socioeconomic difference. She says, I am dark-skinned because I work outside in the sun every day, right? I'm, I'm swarthy. My skin is dark, and it is rough. There's almost a Cinderella story going on here where it's her evil stepbrothers that have made her work outside in the vineyard. And she says, I've been working outside in the vineyard, so I haven't been able to take care of my own vineyard. What's happening here? She is feeling incredibly insecure because she is a commoner, and this prince has fallen in love with her. And she's questioning, am I good enough? Am I beautiful enough? Is he attracted to me? Is this real? And listen, all of us can relate to feeling insecurity when it comes to relationships. Is this going to last? How is this person going to treat me? Are they going to stick it through with me? And so healthy relationships should find in them affirmation for every insecurity. That in our relationships, we are affirming one another. Listen to Solomon's response to her insecurities. In verse 9, he says, To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, can we just pause for a moment? Nowadays, calling your girl a horse is probably not the best affirmation. All right? So let's make sure we understand the cultural differences here. But back then... Calling her a mare among chariots pharaohs was a great compliment because only the best, only the most beautiful horses could pull chari the chariots. And they were decorated and they were adorned beautifully. You're like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. He's saying, listen, when I look at you, I don't see dark, rough skin. When I look at you, I see the best of the best. I see something beautiful, and I want to lavish you with love. And I don't see a commoner. I see somebody who's tremendously valuable and someone who is precious that I am going to cherish. Insecurities are followed by affirmations. It continues in chapter 2 and verse 1. She says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. What she is saying here again is I am incredibly common. I'm just like every other flower that you see on the hillside. And his answer in verse 2 is no, you are like a lily among the thorns. You're not just any other flower. Compared to you, everything else is a thorn. You're the most beautiful flower and you stand out from the crowd. You stand out from everything else. Insecurity followed by affirmation. Look again at verse 14 of chapter 2. At this point, 
They have been separated for the winter season, and now it's spring, and they're back together again. And it says that he has come to her family's property, but it says that he's actually outside the wall, peering through the lattice, right? So it sounds kind of creeperish, but I guess it's romantic, all right? And he's calling to her, but she won't come to him. In verse 14, he says, Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock... In the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. What is happening here? He is outside the wall calling to her, and she is hiding. Why? Because of insecurity. And he says, my love, let me see you. You're beautiful. Let me hear you. Your voice is sweet. And then she answers, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. It's like, wait a minute, what? He's calling to her. She's hiding. And in her insecurity, her answer is, catch the foxes for us. What is she talking about? Well, at that time, obviously, vineyards was a large part of their agricultural economy. And one of the greatest threats to their vineyards was foxes. Because foxes loved the newly blossomed grapes. And of course, they didn't want to pick newly blossomed grapes. They wanted the grapes to blossom all summer long so that they were at their sweetest form when they would pick them. And so they had to keep the foxes out of their vineyards or else the foxes would come in and eat all the grapes before they could harvest them. So what does she mean when she says, catch the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard? She's saying, uh, let's deal with stuff before it ruins our relationship. I've got some insecurities. I've got some fears. And I need to deal with these things before they ruin the relationship. Come on, I think it's important whether you are uh, just got together or whether you've been together for decades. It's important that we catch the little foxes, that we don't let the little things come in and ruin our relationships. We don't let the little things get carried away and become resentments and walls between us and issues that we don't deal with. So relationships have to be a balance between insecurities and affirmations. What does that mean? That means when we're with the person that, that loves us, when we're with the person that God meant us to be with, that person is going to bring the best out of us. They're going to speak life over us. And in the midst of our greatest insecurities, when we see the worst about ourselves, they're going to speak the best about ourselves. Therefore, our lover should be a mirror in which we can see and believe the best of ourselves. Listen, when we stare in a mirror, that's usually when our insecurities come out, right? I'm looking a little saggy. I'm not liking how the muscles look today. The belly's hanging a little bit. Got the lines under my eyes. Right? When, I, when I look in the mirror, that's when all the insecurities come out. So I already have enough of my own negative voices speaking to me from the mirror. So I don't need my spouse to have the same kind of voice speaking those negativities and, and creating more insecurity. No, I need my spouse to be a different kind of mirror. I need my spouse to be a mirror that brings out the best in me. And so I want to encourage you in your relationship, whether you're a spouse or whether you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend, be the mirror that brings out the best in the other. Don't just be another mirror with more negative voices. We have enough of those. 
And in the midst of that, let's deal with the things in our relationship, right? We're not avoiding issues. We're not avoiding conflict. No, we're going to deal with the things we need to deal with. But we're going to do that from the context of being a mirror that's going to bring out the best in our lover. You guys with me? Come on, theme number three. Covering and complimenting. Covering and complimenting. Let's go back to chapter 1 and read verse 12. It says, while the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. What is she talking about here? Well, keep in mind, in the ancient days, they did not bathe or shower as much as we do nowadays, especially the commoners, the working class. So they had to come up with ways to cover their body odor because they didn't bathe enough. And so for the women, what they would do is they would gather aromatics, right? They would gather sweet-smelling herbs and different things, and they would put them in a leather pouch, and they would wear the leather pouch like a necklace, and that, that pouch would sit between their breasts, and it would cover their body odor. So what is she saying here? She's saying that my Solomon is like the pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. What is she saying? She's saying that Solomon, my lover, covers me. And you see, there's something about healthy relationships where we cover one another's weaknesses. Right? It says in the New Testament that love covers a multitude of sins. There is a covering that happens in healthy relationships where whatever my wife's weaknesses are, whatever those broken areas of her life are, my responsibility is to cover those things, is to protect those things. And then vice versa, my areas of brokenness and weakness, my wife is to cover those. In chapter 2 and verse 6, the young woman says, let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me, right? She says she is finding a place of security and covering in her man's arms. There is a covering. And then I love verse 16 of chapter 2. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his, right? This is not the king and the poor working girl. This is not an oppressive love. This is not a pity love where the rich, benevolent king is just allowing this poor girl to be around him. No, this is a mutual submission. There is a togetherness in their submitting to one another. Solomon did not think that he was better than her. Solomon was not there to oppress her. Solomon was there to mutually submit his life to her just as she was to him. There is a covering and a complimenting that in relationship we should feel safe. And listen, our job as lovers is not to throw our lover under the bus. Our job as lovers is not to constantly call out what is wrong with them and what is broken in them. No, our job as lovers is to cover and to compliment. What does compliment mean? It's not like a compliment, like I say a nice thing to you. No, it's the compliment like we fit together and we make the most together. And there is something in mutual submission where we find that we are more complete and more effective because we complement one another. I remember one of my fathers in the faith, Mark, would share with me about how he and his wife complimented each other in that he saw himself as a stick in the mud. 
He liked to do things the same way all the time. He was kind of boring. He was kind of repetitive. And he described his wife as a kite. She just liked to fly. She was just a free spirit. And so he says, listen, if I was left by myself, I would never do anything new. I would stay stuck in one place. And he said, my wife, if she was left by herself, she would just fly away, caught up in the wind. He says, but together, she pulls me into new things, and I keep her grounded. So together, we complement each other, and we find our greatest effectiveness together. Right? And the same thing could be said of Shannon and I. Right? Shannon is an introvert. She is perfectly happy being in the house all day. And I like being outside. And so if I was left to myself, I would never do anything in the house. And if she was left to herself, she would never go outside. But together, we complement each other. I drag her outside sometimes, and she keeps me in the house sometimes. In healthy relationships, there's that covering. Do you cover your spouse? Do you cover your loved one? Do you cover their brokenness and weakness? And where they are weak, you are strong. And where you are weak, they are strong. And together you find the greatest completeness. And theme number four is friendship and companionship. Friendship and companionship. Let's look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. They're kind of uh, in this back and forth, volleying back and forth, trading compliments, trading, saying sweet things to each other. And so... Uh, Solomon in verse 15 says, How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. And then the Shulamite answers, How handsome you are, my beloved. And so pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. Right? This is kind of one of those moments of, You hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. All right, let's count to three and hang up at the same time. Did you hang up? No, neither did I. Okay. They're just going back and forth, sharing these sweet nothings with each other. But what I want you to see here is that constantly Solomon calls her my darling, and constantly the Shulamite calls him my beloved. Well, in the original Hebrew, what Solomon is saying is he is saying, Raya. And the Shulamite, what, uh, what she is saying is she is saying, Dodai which I guess is better than calling your man Dodo, right? So um, it's a little more affirming. Dodai. So Raya is a word of companionship. And Dodai in the opposite gender is also a word of companionship. These were not just sweet names that they had for each other. These were not just terms of endearment. These were terms of companionship. This couple was not just building a passionate love that they were longing for each other, they were building a friendship. They were getting to know each other. They, they were becoming companions that shared their life together. And the greatest thing I can encourage you is this. Learn to enjoy what your partner enjoys. Learn to enjoy what your partner enjoys. Even if it's not something that you would ever care about or you would ever want to get involved in, learn to enjoy what your partner enjoys because every time you enjoy something together, that is another strand that is tying you together. And as my wife shared earlier, that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, and of course that's referring to husband, wife, and God being a cord of three strands in marriage. But imagine your marriage or your relationship being made up of thousands of strands because you've shared so many things together. 
So many memories, so many hobbies, so many activities together. Learn to enjoy what your partner enjoys. Shannon loves to read Christian romance. All right, not those dirty, hot, steamy romance novels, all right? She likes the Christian ones that keeps it clean. She also likes historical fiction romance where it takes Bible stories and elaborates on them. Listen, I don't care about those books. But because she loves them, I've chosen to care. And when she's telling me one of these stories that she's read about, I sit with her and I listen. Why? Because I've learned to enjoy what my partner enjoys. Shannon doesn't care anything about sports. But she has learned to enjoy what I enjoy. And so when I'm telling her about the Blazers game or when I'm talking to her about the latest move that the Padres have made, she listens. Because we're not just lovers, we're friends. And because we're friends, we want to share everything together. Learn to enjoy what your partner enjoys. Let me have the worship team come back up as we finish today. So what does this mean? It means that when in a relationship, we have all three loves. We have the phileo, the friendship love. We have the eros, the romantic love. And we have the agape, the unconditional love. So in your notes, it says this. Friendship love provides the foundation. You see, when you're getting to know each other, that's providing the foundation for a lifelong relationship. Not when you're being passionate with each other. No, it's when you're building the friendship, when you're getting to know each other. As Shannon shared last week, we were friends for 18 months before we went on our first date. We were laying the foundation. Friendship love provides the foundation. Romantic love provides the fuel. Right? If we want the fire to burn for a lifetime, that fire needs fuel to burn, and the romantic love is the fuel. And so if your fire is burning low, you need to restoke your fire by doing some passionate things, doing some romantic things, getting back to, to what caused your heart to burn back in the day when you wooed that person and chased that person. Romantic love provides the fuel. An unconditional love, that agape love that Shannon taught us last week, that provides the longevity. Because it's that unconditional love, it's that sacrificial love, it's that giving love that's going to cause your marriage to last a lifetime. So it's going to endure the desert seasons. It's going to endure the down seasons. It's going to endure the struggles. It's going to endure the days when you're not feeling the passion. The unconditional love provides the longevity. When you have all three, you've got the foundation, you've got the fuel, you've got the longevity. You're going to have the marriage that God intended you to have. Amen. I hope and pray that you received something today. If you're young and dating, I pray you received something today that spoke to you. And if you're married, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, or however long you've been married, I hope and pray that something spoke to you and that you take the challenge. Do we need to do something in our relationship 
to stoke the passion and the longing? Do we need to do something in our relationship so there's more affirmation and less insecurity? Do we need to do something in the relationship so there's more covering and less exposing, so that there's more complimenting and less separateness? Do we need to do something in the relationship so there's more companionship and more friendship? Come on, take something and use it, and let's see our relationships go from broken to restored and from good to great, that we would see everything in our relationships that God intended. Will you stand together with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, Lord God, that you put the Song of Solomon in the Bible so that we don't have to be ashamed of our passionate love, so that we can celebrate romance, so that we can celebrate the sexuality that you gave us and the sexual longing that you put so naturally inside of us. God, I pray for every marriage in our church. I pray for those that are struggling. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you begin to minister where there has been hurt and resentment, Lord, where there are so many negative words being spoken. Father, I pray that you begin to minister healing and wholeness right now. And I pray that in this word that was spoken today, broken marriages are finding hope They're finding reasons to keep fighting. They're finding reasons to keep doing whatever it takes to stay together, to rediscover the love, to recapture the passion, to love one another unconditionally. Thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray for young marriages today. I pray that 50 years from now, we're celebrating their old marriage because they stuck together and they stood the test of time. I pray right now in Jesus' name, oh, that they would learn what it takes to have a love that lasts. They would learn what it takes to build the friendship and the relationship. They would learn the language to speak over one another, the language of life and not the language of death. I pray that older marriages would stand as models and mentors for younger marriages today. I pray for marriages that have just been kind of stuck in the rut Nothing's wrong, but we're not doing anything special. And I just declare today that the Lord intended more for our marriages. So in Jesus' name today, we pray that there would be a breaking out of the ruts. There would be a renewed passion that, Lord, our marriages would stand as a model of Jesus in your church, that our marriages would be a ministry in the community, that our marriages would draw others unto you, O Lord. God, do a new thing in our marriages. Break the ruts in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for the purity of our dating couples. I pray that they would find a purity of heart and a purity in their bodies. And though there is a sexual longing that is perfectly natural, they would not awaken that arousal and they would wait until the day that they are married thank you for that Jesus thank you Lord God would you just continue to minister to our hearts continue to minister to our hearts let your love be the example let your love be the model Lord we come together as we are loved by you and we want to love others and especially our spouses with that love that you have given us. So today, Lord, we pray, pour your love on us that we don't love out of emptiness, we don't love out of hurt, we don't love out of our own fears, but Lord, your perfect love would push those things out and that we would love because your perfect love is flowing through us.
So I pray today, if there be anyone here that has never received your love, I pray that they would receive it today and they would surrender their lives to Christ Jesus as Lord. But I pray that all of us, Lord, would abide in your love, would soak in your love, that we could love one another out of that place of soaking and saturation. Thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.